the, the NFL stands for not for long. Second down and goal from just inside the two. Backs offset. Sharga and Armstead. Rollout. Walker. Still running out. Looks to the left. Wide open. Thompson touchdown. Colin Thompson with the touchdown. There was nobody within 20 yards. What of a catch off the bobble. Colin Thompson scoops it up. Locking quarter of the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. The first NFL touch for Colin Thompson is a score. What's going on, everybody? This is your host, Colin Thompson with Not For Long Media, episode 47, Tompy time, a little bit of this just in. I'm here with my partner in crime, back by popular demand, the birthday boy, Justin Ayers. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thank you. Yeah, 25. Nobody likes you when you're 25. I don't really know what the significance of it is other than you can rent a car for a little bit less. Uh, but yes. what, were, what were you doing when you were 25? I had the same mantra of I can rent a car now and not get dinged the extra no. $250. Cause I'm six months younger than, uh, you know, 25. Uh, do I get why they do that? Yes. Is it fair? No, life's not fair, but I digress. Enterprise rent a car, change your damn. No. Uh, yeah. I, I 25. I was, let's see. It's three years ago. I'll, my birthday's coming up. So three years ago, I don't even remember. XFL, AAF, probably AAF, Alliance of American Football League. Uh, yeah. So uh, very blessed to be where I'm at coming up at 28 and 25 for you, man. Happy birthday. We appreciate all you do here. Not for long. I know our fans do. You're back by popular demand. I've had multiple people this weekend again say to me, like, I love when you and Justin do your thing and go back and forth and have a good time. I'm like, all right, well, it's coming back, whether you want it or not, folks. So <laughs> there's so much been going on. And, and, in our world, from our side, our team is extremely busy with other things other than this. And then we're keeping this thing moving and having fun. And we haven't been able to do as many this just ends and Tompy times and all these things because of our regular jobs. Um, and that's why we're blessed to have multiple people on our team here to help us get through and keep this thing moving. Um, and it's been a blast. It really has. And it's going to be a fun holiday season. We're going to have some fun guests, different guests, continuing things like we already have done. The holidays are coming up, though, guys. So make sure you check out the website, notforlongmedia.com. First off, you can find anything you want on there from our YouTube page that Justin's heavily involved with to everything about us, our team, some fun facts, what we're listening to lately, TV shows we're following, up-to-date stuff. It's an interactive website. Autumn and our team do a great job with it. And then our merch, hats, Columbia long sleeve shirts, Columbia jackets, polos, awesome gifts for the holidays. We have stickers on there. I throw a little sticker in every package that we send out. So awesome stuff for the holidays to get to your loved ones. We really appreciate you supporting us here and not for long media. So thanks again. But yeah, Tompy Time's back. This Justin is back. There's been so much going on in college athletics, particularly in football. Uh, basketball season started. Uh, it's a great time of year in sports. It really is. Bat football season's winding down here. We just got off our bye week. So what do you got for us, Jay? We got a lot of stuff to talk about today. A lot is an understatement. A lot, a lot of college football. We, we start with the college football playoff bracket. The, the final four, if you will, for college football was announced over the weekend. And we have number one, Alabama, going up against number four, Cincinnati. And then number two, Michigan, going up against number three, fell from number one, Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, so a lot of storylines, a lot of things to talk about in, in regards to that. I, I think first and foremost, we have to start with Alabama being number one. 
uh, over the weekend. They beat Georgia and they beat them convincingly. It was 41 to 24 uh, Saturday night. It was just, nobody saw that coming. The number one team in the country fall into the Alabama Crimson Tide, but I don't know if they picked, I don't know if they picked the, the right number one team. I, I don't know if Alabama should be number one. Uh, I know to be the best, you have to beat the best, but I was curious if you saw, you know, what happened to Georgia over the weekend and thought that Alabama should have been number one. Well, I'll say this. I, there were some people that did believe Alabama would win and they're Alabama fans. And I'm probably maybe the other one uh, because I didn't watch a lot of college football this year, obviously with my current job doesn't we're traveling during the day of those games, or I just want to break in a nap if we're staying at home and not traveling. So I'm not watching the games and probably not the primetime games. Cause I'm ready, getting ready for the game the night before our game. So I'm watching like the 12 o'clock game as I'm doing a little note study or I'm eating or I'm laying down. So I watched the noon games, which are not primetime, uh, usually not the big dogs. Right. So uh, I don't know. I followed enough. So I was texting family saying, and uh, Sydney sisters, a, a Bama grad and I'm in the family group text. And I said, I think Bama wins today. And I think they win convincingly. And again, if I watched all college football this year and I watched Georgia, I probably would say Georgia would beat them because all I've heard is Georgia's defense and what they have on offense and their staff and all these people and their recruiting and their players, their tight ends. I hear awesome things. So I probably would have took uh, Georgia, but there's something about Alabama. I'm a Bama fan. And for no other reason, the fact that they've had success, they've had continued success, uh, the amount of articles about the amount of people Nick Saban has got fired because of how well he's done in the SEC, how well he's done in the SEC West. We know how crazy, crazy that is. And it's only getting crazier with the additions of Texas and Oklahoma. We don't know where they're fitting in yet, but assuming the West. Uh, so uh, I digress, but I, I just think Bama is just fun to root for because the fact that it is so hard to win. And I guess I appreciate it more because I've had plenty of losses in my career. It's so hard to win consistently, and especially in college football with recruiting and all these different things. And now na name, image, likeness, NIL, which we've talked about here before. So everything's against you to have dynasties, everything. But Alabama just continues to roll and roll and roll and roll. I did see this, Justin. Do you see that Nick Saban, he has to be one of the top three coaches in college football? Did I read that stat? He has to, his, his contract adjusts every time a new person gets paid. He has to be within like 10% of their pay. I didn't see that, but that sounds like something he would want in there. Uh, it takes a lot of pride, him and Miss Terry down there in Tuscaloosa. They like making the money. So uh, I could see that being a thing. Well, he sets the market too. I, he does set the market. A, it's always interesting, right? Like everyone says like, you got enough money. And I'm listen, I'm the first one to be like, yeah, you do. Like just you know, cut me a check for whatever. And I'll be gone, but there's more to it. There's always more to it. There's pride to it. There's, uh, you know, expectation to it. There's a standard to what you do and what you're worth compared to other people. So it's competitive. And I'll, obviously Alabama's okay writing that check. It's a no brainer for what he's made for that university, but I have no problem with Alabama being a number one. I haven't, again, I haven't watched a lot of college football. I think the story of Michigan, Michigan has been great. I played with a lot of Michigan guys over the years and the story is get them out, get Harbaugh out. And that's great. And they're probably right at the time because they can't win the big game against the rivals. I know that's been the stigma of Coach Harbaugh. But I always said back to him is, who are you going to hire? Who are you going to hire that's going to come in and recruit the way that Coach did? He played there. He's been to the mountain in the NFL as a player and as a coach. And then now you're going to say, we're going to bring in someone else who fits that mold, who's perfect for Big Blue. 
that seems like the perfect coach for there. You had to suck it up your eight and nine win seasons, and then you lose to Ohio State. I get it. But they stuck it out, and they, you know, they, they worked them. And now they're number two in the country. Um, and they got their hands full with Georgia. And a Georgia team that's probably not happy camper for what happened because they probably thought they were going to roll the tide. And then they were going to roll it into the Final Four and have an undefeated season. And they're going to learn a lot from that loss, more than they probably would have if they won. So it may be better for them in the in the long term in Georgia. So Georgia three, fine. And then Cincinnati. I'll touch on Cincinnati because as an American Conference alumni, I'm ecstatic for them. I'm ecstatic for them. And it's an awesome opportunity. And they stuck it out and they won the American. And it wasn't always pretty, but it's the formula for what it is. Pretty much you have to have a great year. And then a year later, you're going to have be high ranked and you can't lose. So you won't drop in the rankings, but you're not going to beat anybody good enough in the American Athletic Conference to jump you up uh, to get you these massive leaps you see when these SEC teams win, rightfully so, or, uh, you know, a, a Pac-12 or whatever team gets a massive win, Big Ten. So my point is, I, I think they're, they're deservedly in the top four and it fell into their lap because of people losing. So uh, interesting if Notre Dame would have got in without their head coach, their head coach that was been a part of a ton of success there. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but what are your thoughts on the final four, Justin, as I uh, articulated forever about? No, yeah, it's a lot to unpack about the, just four teams. There's so many storylines with each one of them. Uh, I honestly think that Michigan should have been number one. I think their win against Ohio state is probably the best win in college football this year up until Bama beating Georgia. Um, but I, I think just the way they win games, they, they've blown everybody out. The way they play, they have some of the best interior, like defensive linemen. They have a great offensive line. They can run the ball down your throats. I thought Michigan should have been number one. I'm a hardball guy. But I think the committee, honestly, I think they put Michigan at two, Bama at one, to avoid a repeat of Alabama, Georgia. Because if Bama, Georgia were ranked two and three, I mean, that's so you're going to go from having an SEC championship game to however many weeks away you have to play them again. Uh, I think that probably played into it a lot, too. Um, but and also, I think Cincinnati is such a, such a great story, uh, and we'll we'll touch on them expanding the playoffs. But for right now, them being a four team playoff, I'm glad they broke through. You know, the, the the group of five conferences they get no love, and to see one of them finally get up there and hang with the big boys, um, even though they only had two ranked wins and played like Navy and East Carolina half the time. Um, Temple, yeah, Temple, yeah. We'll we'll talk about them later too. But uh, with that being said. Uh, the the draw playing Alabama in the first round of the playoff is a tough one. Oh. This, 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 it, that's that just reminds me of when Bama played Notre Dame earlier this year, um, or in January of 2021, uh, and everybody turned it off at halftime. So that's, yeah, it's going to be ugly. I think it's, I think it's going to be the same thing, and it's not a slight at Cincinnati. It's not. It it's just a reality. Unless you are built with depth and big time stars i don't think you can compete the american athletic conference teams like and other conferences like western michigan again i talked this with our fullback tight end geo ricci there was great players taylor moton went to western michigan he's our right tackle signed a massive deal he's one of the best if not the best right tackle in the nfl uh there's tons of great players from the mac from the american athletic conference from mountain west and teams have great teams. Look at that Wyoming team a couple of years ago with Allen and Buffalo, and they had a ton of studs that no one kind of knows about. They were in the XFL. They were in the AAF. I played with a lot of those guys, and then they were scattered throughout the NFL. Same thing at Temple. 
We had really good players. We actually had some star players. Matikavich won the Bronco Nagurski Award. He won the Defensive Player of Year Award. He won the Linebacker Award. He won pretty much every defensive award you could win in college football. So we checked some boxes at Temple with some studs. But the one thing you have to be careful of when you talk about these teams at lower levels and to Coach Rule and all the players credit at Temple, we actually had depth. I was blown away when I transferred from Florida. I'm like, who is this? Why is he a backup? And that's like Jake Martin. Um, who else? Like praise all these good defensive ends I played against and they're all NFL players or CFL players. So long story short is, is the depth. Do you have the depth to withstand injuries throughout the year? And then when you make it to these big bowl games, you have enough dudes to make it work. When Houston beat FSU, Florida state a few years ago in the bowl in Atlanta, the peach bowl or whatever, they had Greg Ward, who's an NFL slot receiver. And Greg was electric and they ran all over him and they had a good team draft picks first depth. And they had a good scheme and they had playmakers. So Cincinnati's going to have to make plays and they're going to have to have mismatches at times for them to make plays and win. I don't know if you're going to have a mismatch with anybody at Alabama. Every single guy at Alabama is going to be bigger, stronger, faster, more highly recruited, better player. So I know it's not, I'm not breaking any news there with that statement, but it's the depth of the smaller schools. And that's why we talk about expanding the playoffs. I'm not for it. Because I don't think I'm – I'm for expansion, but I'm not for, like, you win the American Athletic Conference, you're in the playoffs. You win this. Because if, if Cincinnati was not what they were this year, who in the American Conference would win it? I don't know if anybody can name it. Maybe UCF. Maybe, maybe Houston would win it. That's who would win it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, since he handled Houston very well. So I digress. My point is, do they have the depth to hang with Alabama? Absolutely not. Do they have the star power? I haven't watched a ton of them, but I don't think so. So I hope it's great during the final four. It's awesome for the American athletic conference, a conference. I love they, they lost some good pieces and they're going to, they're, they retained some um, and they added some, but they're going to get smoked. And I think by halftime, the show is going to be flipped off. And I think that would happen with a lot of teams. And that's why I'm anti-expansion, which we'll talk about. Yeah, like I think more so than anything, I think they just proved a point. They they proved that you don't have to play in one of the big power five schools to make it to the playoff as much as I'm, I'm sure the committee hated having to pencil them in at four. Um, but the 12-team playoff, so that's been kind of thrown around. Uh, I think Dan Patrick was talking about they, they either had the, the go-ahead for 2023 or 2025, depending on when they pass it or whatever. It's not official yet, but they, they're trying to figure out how exactly it's going to work. Because, you know, there's a lot of people that want, like the Power Five conference chairs want auto bids for the winners of the Power Five. And then, you know, the group of five schools are standing there like, whoa, if, if our conference championship, if our conference championship guy like wins, like what, what are we supposed to do? So they're trying to figure out the, because, you know, if the winner of the Big Sky Conference or, or you know, the Fun Belt, if they win, like that doesn't necessarily mean that they get to hang, get to go play the SEC champion winner. It, like, that's figured out. It should be the highest ranking. Yeah. Whoever's the highest ranked from one, they have to be ranked in the top 25. I don't know. To me, like it's the ranking still can exist. And if you win a championship, you're in. So yeah, like if you're looking at the rankings right now, I'm looking at the AP, right? Uh, let's see, Baylor won, they're in, but they're sixth, right? Notre Dame would be highly ranked because they beat some good teams and they only have one loss to Cincinnati, who's four, and Notre Dame's five. So they're in. Ohio State, who won the Big Ten? obviously Michigan Michigan yep so you know I think this would be fine it would end up being the same thing 
I'm trying to who's the highest. So the Raging Cajuns would be in. They're 16th. Now I'm saying like you would bump them up and put them 12th because they won a championship. But then are the Raging Cajuns better than Oklahoma, who's 14th? No. no. See, this this is why it's like I, I love the you know some maybe this is opportunity to give a little more love to some of these small schools and weird conferences. But for the sake of competitiveness, I think you really have to weigh those schools differently. You have to, and you have to give buys in the for the first two teams somehow, some way. You cannot yeah. have Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, one of those three. I know that's three teams play BYU, well, Michigan, Utah, Michigan State. I mean, this this would have been a good year, I think, to do all this because there's some depth. Mississippi, Ole Miss was a good team this year. Mm-hmm. It's some big wins. You know, Ohio State was up and down, but they're still Ohio State, Baylor, Notre Dame. This is actually probably a better year than it's ever been. Pitt. Right, the quarterback kind of taken off. There'd be a lot of talk around him. He's going to be one of the top quarterbacks, if not the top one taken. He had that sweet fake slide and take off to stick it to the defense. I love that. Uh, so, yeah, maybe the Raging Cajuns sneak in there. And I don't know. I don't know how to do it, man. There's no answer. I'm not for it just for the pure reason that you're going to have bad product. Mm-hmm. The product is going to continue to get diluted. It already is diluted. The bowl games are not what it, they used to be. I remember flipping the games on and I was so excited when like for after Christmas, because the bowl games would be like, awesome. It'd be like, we're here in, you know, Orlando and Michigan's playing South Carolina, the clowny game, you know, and it's not a big time bowl. Maybe the Outback bowl is not a BCS bowl, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. Am I right? I don't, do they even have BCS bowls still? Well, whatever, you know, uh, I meant like a new year six. It's not a new year six Was the Outback a new year six. I'm so lost when it comes to bowls. Like, I think you would probably know more about them than me, but like, I, I just like watching random teams play on Wednesday nights. That's yeah. all I really care about. So exactly. I digress. The, the, the bottom line was the bottom line was it was fun to watch. There was a lot to do. Um, so, you know, I enjoyed that. Now I, I really, I don't know if I'm tuning in to watch whatever game, because I know the final four is coming. Just if the final four game, if it's, I think it's the cotton bowl this year and the orange, Oh, I'm probably way so. off again. Brutal, brutal by me. Right. Horrible yeah. preparation. I don't know. The other bowl, BCS bowl games aren't even that exciting to me. So oh, maybe I'm speaking for just I'm, – I'm in the minority here, but I don't know. It is what it is. I'm for expansion in the, in the sense that this year I think it would have been interesting. You got a ACC conference champion pit that's got hot and 11-2, and two, all good, and then – you got some teams in the middle there that'd be able to compete. So I think this would have been a year to do it, but I don't think in the future it's going to be like this. So I found the bowl. So, you know, the bowl games were announced over the weekend. We have the Goodyear Cotton Bowl. It's uh, December 31st. It's Cincy, Bama. And then the Orange Bowl is Georgia, Michigan uh, later that night. And then the other New Year's Six Bowls are the Peach Bowl. It's Michigan State Pitt. The Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame, Oak State. Rose Bowl, which that's always my favorite, Ohio State, Utah, and then the Sugar Bowl is Baylor, Ole Miss. So there's going to be some good games um, December 31st, January, uh, all those. That I'm whole for week. Them. Yeah. And I'm not saying those games aren't going to be good. I think this would have been a great little playoff, this group. That's now mm-hmm. more than ever. Not even thinking about it, just pulling it off my computer as we're talking. I'm like, this would actually Parody. work this year. This would have worked this year. Yeah. It would have worked this year. It would have been a cleaner product. Like I said, I don't know if every year is going to be that, but regardless uh yeah i'm going to be tuning into those games for sure i'm just saying they don't have the muster the rose bowl does but they don't have like just the the pop they used to so 
Can I give a quick aside? Uh, to, not related to anything. So I have the TV on in the background. It's the, the pregame show for Monday Night Football. Uh, former guest of this podcast, Adam Schefter. It's really windy in Buffalo. And he almost just blew out of his chair that they have on the field because there's like sustained 20 mile an hour and 50 mile an hour gusts at a, in Buffalo at Orchard Park. So shout out Adam Schefter. Adam. Yeah, shout out. Big time. What a great guy. And you could shoot him a little message like, hey, man, hope you're doing well. He gets right back to you. You know, that's the type of guy he is. Or a great show on TV tonight. Boom. Gets right back to you. He's a great guy and was a great guest and was a really funny episode. Uh, you got to show who he is. You don't get to really see who he is on TV. A lot of personalities get to show on TV, on Get Up, and all these different things. He goes on. He tells you what's going on. He gives a little bit of opinion, and then he's out. He's a true, true insider and, and a, a great man, and we we're thankful for his time. What else you got for us, Jay? So coaching carousel is the other thing for college football. A lot of coaches, I didn't know coaches could come and go as easily as they did, uh, so that kind of surprised me. I can't remember another time where the coaching carousel was this hot. But I think the big one we'll start with first is Brian Kelly uh, left Notre Dame uh, for LSU. He spent 12 seasons as the Irish head coach. He passed Newt Rockney for total wins. He went and had a 10 year deal worth 95 million guaranteed in Baton Rouge. Uh, it, it's the story behind this is funny because news of this leaked Monday night. And then, so Brian Kelly had a group chat with all of his players and he, he you know, told them that he wished that the news had come out differently. 7 a.m. meeting the next day. And then 7 a.m. came on, I guess it was a Tuesday and somebody secretly videotaped his remarks. It was four minutes long and he didn't take questions. And he said, there's a bigger opportunity that was calling for him. And then he left and uh, everybody was up in arms about it. So there's a lot to unpack there. But uh, first, you know, let's break down the outrage, if you will. Um, if you found out that your coach was leaving uh, via text message, how would you handle that? We did. <laughs> I mean, I was at Temple and my coach right now, Matt Rule, left for Baylor. And we all found out like we're on Twitter and all this happening. And is it not going to happen? And we're texting our coaches and, you know, they all know, and we all knew it was happening. It was unraveling right before our eyes. So you can't really say no. It's not like coach rule texted to say, Hey, come see us. But we had a team meeting. Coach rule came in, talked to the team. The athletic directors promised they were going to find a great replacement and continue coach rules. Legacy coach rule thanked us. I mean, in a first class way, the way he handles his business and was on his way what else is there to say um obviously you could go see him and I, we went people went and go saw him personally and you know gave him hugs and wished him well and obviously we're still in contact and i get to work for him now i'm very lucky uh, so i went through the same thing uh, i had zero issue with the text he sent if anything it was more proactive than a lot of other coaches a lot of other coaches would have their op their ops department to say hey team meeting tomorrow morning 7 a.m he probably was getting on a plane and was flying back to South Bend from his time at LSU, paying respect to the LSU situation and being with them because they're just cutting him a check for $100 million. Um, and I'm sure he was trying to be as focused as possible with them and the agent. And then he's on his way back to South Bend saying, listen, I'm on my way back. I'm sorry you found out this way. This is the world we live in. Of course, with social media, the players are going to know. And that's that. It's, it's not ideal. Uh, but that's the reality of our business. The only reality is that there's going to be change and there's going to be people fired and you're going to, I'll get fired multiple times again, probably the rest of my career. And that's just how our business is. It's a lot different than normal work. As you see in college football, things going on, even that coaches that are having success are either getting fired or coaches that are having success are not staying where they've had success, even though Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, they're at top 10 jobs in the country. Um, so it's a unique world. 
it is a unique world to say the least when it comes to college football for sure. So that's my opinions on those two. I have no issue with the text message. I have no issue with the quick meeting. What is there to say? I love you guys. Here's my number. They all have his number. They all have personality. You know, it's, it's a little rough around the edges, but that's our business. That's such a great point about what else is there to say? Because I mean, what, what would the alternative be? He gets up there for, and does like an hour Q and a, uh, at 7 a.m. with leaving. all these guys. I'm yeah. not leaving. You know what? LSU, you're out. The show goes on in Notre Dame. Like those guys get it, I think. But then you have some people saying that, well, Brian Kelly recruited these guys. He went to their living rooms and spoke yeah. to them. And yeah, and it's like, I guess this brings up another kind of thing where it's like when you're in college, do you play more so for the coach or more so for the school? Because you're recruited by Brian Kelly. But, you know, I think most of them are probably there to play for Notre Dame as opposed to play for Brian Kelly. It's a great question. And a lot of people I was able to talk through in the recruiting process, I went through it. I was very lucky to have that and great people to ask questions to. They all said two things. This is when I was coming out of high school and had a bunch of options and very blessed to have them was don't pick a school because of the coaching staff and the head coach. And also pick a school that if your career comes to an end, you'll enjoy your life there. And my career came to an end in Florida and I love my life there and almost stopped playing football. Truly. I mean, being blunt, it was very tough and being medically disqualified like I was at Florida and being told you're never going to be able to run around with your kids and you got to do it for the best venture of your body. You've got major foot problems and your career should come to an end. I was like, well, maybe it should. And then I found I didn't want to listen to him and I went to go to these doctors and specialists and they're like, you'll be fine. You need some time off. And I got very lucky and Matt Rule gave me his scholarship at Temple. The rest is history. Here we are. So um, I've been through all that. You know, so I guess it's tough, but then you got to pick a place that has a great coaching staff and a great mold for you. So it's speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Yes. But Hey, that's, that's the, the beauty of success. And then it goes into the athletic department, like a great athletic director in Jeremy Foley at Florida. He hires great coaches at Florida. Now people say, well, I don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Like Dan Mullen's getting fired. Well, he's a pretty good football coach, right? They went to uh, New Year's six bowl, three out of the four years he was there. Uh, developed in a lot of really good players. Jim McElwain, I get it. It was a different guy there at Florida, but they went to the SEC championship two, two years in a row. Say what you want. There's some success there. Now, a lot of Will Muschamp's players uh, were a part of that, was a part of those really good players that were there. So I'm a little talking a little randomly per usual, but uh, really the point is that you, you got to go to the places to get the right you know, academic environment, the right environment for you athletically. And if there's a good athletic department, then they'll probably hire another good coach. So if things change, you'll be okay. So yeah, crazy stuff, crazy stuff in college football. Can we, can we bring up some of the Brian Kelly stuff? Cause there's so much to untackle with that. There's the yeah, Southern. Well, well, here, here's the one stat again, my father-in-law, Fred, you know, he's an LSU guy. Right. He went there. So I was sending him stuff this week. I thought this was interesting. We're just going to share some nuggets as we go on here because there's so many interesting things that have came, came out about all this. So uh, Notre Dame Barstool, they, they posted something from ESPN stats and information quote, over the past 30 years, there've been 12 instances of coaches of a coach winning at least 11 games in his final season at the helm of a power five school over those 12, five left for the NFL Five of, of either retired or resigned due to NCAA violations or scandals. Two took a job at a different college 
football program. Those two college football instances are Brian Kelly leaving Cincinnati for Notre Dame and Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU. So it's I thought his that was- MO to, to, to leave places. Yeah, I, I saw the Cincy well, thing. I mean, Cincy to Notre Dame is, right? If Luke Fickle right. was, was offered that job at Cincinnati, I think he'd probably take it. Now, he's probably turned down a lot of different things because he would have had those opportunities. But I think Luke Fickle would probably entertain about three or four different positions, even if he's adamant about staying in Cincinnati. Everyone says they're not going to leave, but everyone has a price. Um, Brian Kelly spent a ton of time in Notre Dame. You know, so there's a lot of different things. There's also another quote here. Um, if Brian Kelly, if he wins a title, firing him would cause an automatic payout of 100% of his remaining contract. LSU has fired LSU and Edward Orgeron after winning titles. He gets 90% of the remaining balance if he gets fired without cause. Base salary, 10-year, not $95 million. Bonuses include $75,000 for SEC championship game or $150,000 for winning it. He's got a $500,000 longevity bonus annually. $500K for being bowl eligible. $500K for being bowl eligible. What? I mean, hey, it goes on and on. Fifty thousand for SC Coach of the Year, seventy-five thousand for National Coach of the Year, and then I saw this. I thought that was this was interesting. Additional academic achievement bonus of twenty-five thousand each. I don't know what that is. If your players get recognized, um, he owes two million to LSU if he leaves voluntarily. Kelly receives a two courtesy vehicles or two vehicle allowances of a thousand dollars a month. And then he has an interest-free home loan of 20% of the home price up to $1.2 million. And then lastly, 50 hours per year of a private jet time uh, of LSU Jets. So just craziness. And, and for those that aren't following college football that are hearing this for the first time, yes, this is pretty much confirmed, uh, some of it. So thank you for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought he's been such a great coach. Uh, especially having to deal with the recruiting, like, you know, he has to work around so many different things to recruit at Notre Dame, the academic requirements and all these kind of stringent things to get the guys to go to Notre Dame. But now it's wide open. And I know people will say, uh, you know, he, he's from Massachusetts. What does he know about the South? Uh, and that kind of segues into, uh, I don't know if you saw this clip. Uh, it was Bayou Brian Kelly down there at LSU. He was before a basketball game. Family. Uh, was, yep. He got up on the mic, you know, talking to the LSU fans for the first time uh, in person. And yeah, he, he dropped into a Southern draw. This is a great way to get started. I'm just here with my family. It was, he's from Massachusetts. He's, he's from like Worcester, Mass. Uh, do you think that that was a conscious decision that he wanted to like appeal to the, the raging Cajuns down there? Or do you think he slipped up after talking to them all day? As a Northerner, I truly, truly believe he has slipped up after talking to them all day. Okay. Not that it's the people with the Southern accents fault. My family's from my family. Now that I've married into is from Louisiana and they're unbelievable people with a very unique accent, very, very unique accent. And I guess I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. That may have been staged. I know people rumblings are saying is, you know, what's his connectability with LSU, right? He's in Cincinnati. He's from Massachusetts. He went to he coach at Notre Dame. LSU is a completely different mindset of a football program than Notre Dame in general. So I don't know, maybe a little bit of both, maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> it was such an awesome clip. 
Uh, but I, I think he's going to do well down there. Like I said, last three guys that coached there won a national title. So that's a pretty good, uh, and he's got the entire state of Louisiana to recruit from. And he's already shown that he can win at a high level uh, with, with Notre Dame. So uh, with that, let's kind of go over to uh, my favorite college football program, Oklahoma. They, they lost their, their head coach, Lincoln Riley. He bolted for USC. Lincoln was there for four years, made the college football playoff three out of those four, lost all three. Great recruiter, great offensive scheme designer, great leader. The first opportunity he had, he got out of town and went to, to USC to become their head coach. Uh, if, if when I first heard it, I was, I was hurt a little bit. I'm not going to lie because like we had the Oklahoma had just lost to Oklahoma state for the first time in forever. Like morale was low. And then just as, just as we're down on the ground, he just, we get kicked in the gut one last time by him leaving. Um, but I saw his contract and it was pretty sweet. But when you saw Lincoln bolt for USC, what did you think? Well, I saw this tweet first, Lincoln Riley, USC contract de- details, not confirmed though. Uh, we saw the number what's around hundred million or same as Brian, yeah. hundred million. USC is buying both of his homes in Norman, 500,000 over asking price. 500,000 over asking price for his homes in US in uh, Norman. I, I believe he's building a new home there as well. Buying a $6 million home in LA for him and limited use for a private jet 24 seven for his family. So that's where we're at in college football. I'm sure there are a lot of other clauses in there. There were the few tweets and different things I want to read. Again, they're not all confirmed folks. Some of it's a little bit of juice for some retweets if we get it here, not for long media, but hey, it is what it is. Well, there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, I'm hearing some smoke too out of the, uh, we're not going to talk getting the details on it, but I'm reading a few things about Lincoln Riley and some smoke possibly. So we'll see what happens here in the next couple of weeks. But uh, I digress. Justin and I did not talk about that off air, but we will, Justin, we will. Uh, yeah, so what are my thoughts initially on it? Again, in this business, it's a business. I'm almost numb to it. Uh, when I got to Florida and I got the scholarship pulled out from underneath me, like I was heartbroken because I was truly a gator at heart and I still am. But I was like, man, this is the Mecca. Like, awesome. For me, it was. Right? This is college football. This is Florida. This is everything I wanted and more. Uh, football-wise, academically, socially, it was a great place for myself. Then my wife there, I met all my best friends there pretty much. So uh, it's a great place for me. And then it ripped out, and I was heartbroken. And then I finally got my first stage of the business side. Everyone said it's a business, and I would say, yes, I know, I completely understand. But you don't really understand until you get the, the carpet pulled out. And then here at Oklahoma, and you went to go play for Lincoln Riley, and you love the system, and you're X, Y, and Z as, as a player, and all of a sudden he's off. And he's not just off. He's gone to, to USC. And he's not turning back. So who's going to come in behind him? Right? So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a crappy business, right? It's a crappy business. Things happen in our game that are not fun either, right? People get fired. People get, take, get their jobs taken from them. Uh, people leave and go take bigger jobs or whatever they decide for their family and their friends or whatever they want to do personally. So is he going to go dominate? The Pac-12 now, is that his thought? Is he going to leave the SEC, which is coming for him here in a little bit? Probably the SEC West. Maybe that's a thought. Is he going to be a national worldwide recruiter now? Oklahoma, you thought, had that same juice, but now L.A. has got different juice to it, probably a little bit more. So, yeah, he's got that five vibe. He's a young guy. He's got, you know, kind of what's – what's his name? Uh He's got the vibe. What's the head coach's name in Arizona? Cliff Kingsbury, Coach Kingsbury, who's done an awesome job in Arizona. He's got that vibe to him. Mm-hmm. So 
hey, maybe it says I'm going to go to USC and then I'm going to jump to the NFL. You never know. So it's a, it's a crazy business. Yeah, lots to unpack with, with Lincoln Bolton for, for the Pac-12. I, I think a lot of it was he didn't want to coach in the SEC. I know he nobody will, t- like, you know, th- we'll never be able to, like, find that out for sure. But, you know, as somebody who's played in the, in the SEC, like, does it take a special kind of coach and personality? Because it is so dang competitive. It's almost like coaching in the, in the pros. Um, do you think that probably weighed in more so than any of the houses or cars or jets or you got? Well, I'll, I'll say this. I think he's fit for the job. If anybody's yeah. fit to go into the SEC and have success, it's him. Um, but it's a different beast. There's different expectations. But he's done great at Oklahoma. Yes, yeah. You couldn't have asked for anything more. And I think he would have plenty of confidence going to the SEC. And I don't think he left because of that. But I'm sure when he's at USC and he looks at the landscape of the Pac-12 right now, especially Easy. with Crystal Ball leaving o- Oregon, who did a phenomenal job in turning that program around. So not that they had success, but they had a dip there. Um, and, and he came in and, and did a great job. So, yeah, it's, I'm not saying it's why he left. I'm just saying it doesn't hurt. Yeah, and, and also a lot of the, the things in the news with Oklahoma now is that all of the guys that Lincoln recruited have all decommitted, and now they're going to USC. And I'm, I think a, a couple of the guys that are already on the team have already tried to enter the transfer portal to get out to follow into USC. Um, you know, going back to what we said earlier about, like, Brian Kelly and, and the recruiting side of it, like, how much of a team do you think, like, would do that? Like, how much, how much of a percentage of a team do you think would be the kind to be like, all right, well, I signed up to play for him. I'm going to follow him as opposed to, uh, you know what, I signed, I signed here. I'm going to uh, stay here. Well, again, they, they probably think very highly of him. Yeah. They think very highly of him. And it just depends where people fall. Say some of your best players are juniors and sophomores and not your senior, seniors. Well, you know, they may transfer. They may transfer. When I was at Temple, I could think back all of our, not all, what am I saying? Some of our best players were all seniors and they were leaving. And Coach Rule went to Baylor. And there was really no talk. I don't think of some other guys going there. There was some talk here and there of some players transferring uh, and going to play for Coach Rule in Baylor. When I was talking to the players, not really to the coaches, the coaches can't reach out to them and say, hey, transfer here. But again, with the portal now, it's way different. So yeah. if those Oklahoma players hit the portal, then whatever, I can go talk to Coach Riley legally and say, hey, Coach, you got a scholarship for me. I'm coming. He's going to say, yeah, absolutely. I want to instill what we did. And it's probably an upgrade player-wise for what's going on at USC right now. No, no disrespect to those guys in that team. I'm sure they have some studs out there. Don't get me wrong. But Oklahoma is Oklahoma. I mean, he's put them – they're already on the map nationally, but now they're really relevant. Really, really big player in the game. Like you said, you know, college football. What do you, you said three years in a row they went? College football final? Uh, three four. out of four. Yeah. Three out of four. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's – It's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, okay. Well, we can kind of segue into to Temple football for a little bit. Uh, so, last episode – yeah, we'll get – The new coach in Notre Dame. Oh, yeah. Um, Marcus uh, – Freeman. Freeman, yeah. Marcus Freeman. Are we right? Wow. I think so. That's all me. I, I threw a curveball in there for you. I'm hearing from people that are close to Notre Dame. They are jacked up to play for this guy. Jacked up. A lot of respect for Brian Kelly. Obviously, he did a ton of, had a ton of, ton of success there. But I wanted to throw that tidbit in there before we move on to the Temple situation because a lot of people are really jacked up for Marcus Freeman. Are we correct on Marcus Freeman? Yes, Marcus Freeman. It's funny because uh, he also went to Cincinnati to Notre Dame. 
he was a defensive coordinator for Cincinnati for a couple of years. And then this is his first year at Notre Dame defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, and then gets the bump up. Uh, yeah. I, everything I've heard that players there love him. And I think Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator sticking around too. I think he did one of those kind of like, I'm not leaving speeches. The show goes on. That's what he yeah. did. He wanted Brian Kelly to do it, do it, but he flipped it and said, I'm going to do it. Uh, I saw a picture of, of um, coach Freeman and his family kind of on the field there in Notre Dame. And he's got a big family, a beautiful family, his wife, his kids. It was just cool to see. It, it was a warm and fuzzy moment for me uh, to, just to see that. And it's exciting times. I mean, that's, that's, that's the great side of, of football, of, of those jobs and those opportunities and life-changing stuff. It's a life-changing job to be the head coach at Notre Dame. Um, they all are life-changing if you get any opportunity, but obviously we know the history behind ND football. One last, last thing. Uh, so Marcus Freeman's the new Notre Dame head coach, the new Oklahoma head coach, Brent Venables. We should do the I'm coming home video for him because I think he was a coach at Oklahoma for like 15 years. Uh, Clemson home. defensive coordinator, just an absolute stud. Uh, and yeah, do, yeah, just make the I'm coming home video. I'm saying um, right. I'm, don't interrupt me. I'll continue. Yeah. <laughs> Please interrupt. So, so really happy for him. I think he's really young. He's 50 years old, but I think he's been coaching for like 30 years somehow. It's insane. Yeah. Um, Sounds so about right. really really happy for him but all right let's let's do a little temple talk because we had harry mays on uh did a lot of temple talk then and then a lot of new developments have happened since you taped that episode with harry uh temple fired their head coach rod carey carey went 12 and 20 there this past year they were three and nine um you know with everything that's come out since then the developments the coaching search that has now gone on like where do you see the future of the program uh as of you know as of now yeah so we taped that harry episode two weeks before that coach Carey got fired and I usually do not come out and make hot, you know, hit a hot button topic of this coach needs to be fired or call for anybody's job. And I do not know coach Carey personally really don't, but football was not good. And we know it's a production business. Everything we do is a production of business, especially at higher level college football and the NFL. It's about production on the field wins and losses. So things need to be changed. And they were, um, uh, and it worked out perfectly because Harry and I timed it up. Coach got uh, fired and Harry and I were sent out. So, yeah, I said a couple things in there. Where do I see the direction of it? To me, if you could bring in a coach rule disciple, that's the way to go. Yes, I'm biased, but yes, I've seen it work success uh, at, at college level, at the NFL level. Obviously, you flipped over Baylor, a lot of different things going on. Uh, so, uh, anybody of the coach rule disciples would be great. Some of those names are uh, in no order, Elijah Robinson, Mike Saravo, Ed Foley, Fran Brown, Chris Wiesahan. Uh, there's going to be a lot of different names in there. There's going to be some that I missed that are not coach rule, that are coach rule disciples. A guy like Sean Desai, who's defensive coordinator for the Bears. Uh, also, Marty Morningweg, the former Eagles offensive coordinator, uh, and a, a man I got to know very well over the years, roommate, his son was my roommate in college and a friend. Um, so I'm a huge fan of the Morning Wake family and Marty. Obviously, someone with a ton of knowledge of football, a ton of experience at the highest level of football. Um, so there's another name that got thrown into it. I saw Dan Mullen was possibly interested in the job. There's a couple other people interested in the job. So they all sound like fantastic candidates. Um, as long as they're going to bring back the Temple Tough, the grind, the work, the local recruiting roots, the getting to know the coaches locally, the uh, just the toughness. 
the mantra that Temple is built on that is so, I think, to the outside world, probably cliche and cheesy, but it's a real thing when you get on 10th and Diamond and it's snowing and it's raining and you're, you know, you're on the turf practice field and, you know, you're, you're trying to practice and it's spring ball in March and it's just not, it's not all peaches and cream. It's not a bubble university. You are in an atmosphere in Philadelphia that takes a certain person to have success. And I think that's why people that come out of Temple have a lot of success right away because it's a real world situation you're in. And you're in the greatest, one of the greatest cities in the world when it comes to sports and media. And that's Philadelphia, massive top five sports market in our country. So, um, yeah, I, I am a fan of the new athletic director at Temple. I only hear fantastic things. And I'm excited for what the future holds. There's a lot of players tweeting and backing and all these different people. I'm backing any and all that are going to come in and do it differently than what has been going on. Learn from how what has worked in the past, learn what has not worked in the past, and implement their own way. And let's see, what it, see where it goes because there's a tremendous opportunity, tremendous opportunity to have success. I said it before. When I was at Temple, there was opportunities for Temple and talk of them going to the Big 12. Here we are a few years later, three teams are leaving. Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, gone. Going to the Big 12. I mean, the Big 12's got West Virginia and Cincinnati. They can go get Philly if they really wanted to get that market. But Temple football is not where it is. And that's a shame. But there'll be another opportunity. People say conference realignment's done and all these different things. Listen, money talks. So if you have success and you have continued success, things will come. So I hope nothing but the best for the university, nothing but the best for Temple football. It means a ton to me, my teammates, all the coaches that have coached there. The Temple and Tough mantra is a real thing. Um, so there's a lot of great, great assistants over the years that I've gotten to know that would make awesome position coaches, GAs, et cetera, coordinators at Temple that are all part of either Coach Rule's regime, Coach Collins' regime, um, you know, Al Golden, Steve Adazio, all the different people I was able to come across that were their assistants in all different levels, from the strength program to the athletic training to equipment. So there's no reason that Temple should not have success. I think back in the day, if I said that, people would say, you're crazy. But I saw what it takes to have success. Yes, it's challenging, but it's very, very doable. Very, very doable. So, yeah, real quick, do you think that with the right guy, like, you know, having the qualities that you mentioned, do you think with the right guy, they're kind of set up for a quick turnaround? Just from everything you said, you know, being in a, such a big market, like the bright lights, it, it's probably going to attract the best kind of candidates. Um, you know, do you, do you foresee them with the right guy being able to turn it around quickly? I hope so. I think we all can hope that, right? If you're a Temple football fan and just a Philadelphia sports fan in general, you want to see Temple have success. Uh, I don't know if you can, because a lot of players have transferred out of there. People used to go on and blame the portal and all these different things. If you're part of a successful program, I said it with Harry Mays, People are not leaving your program if it is successful. Your third and fourth string players are because they're upset they're not playing. But your first and second string players and all conference players left the program, a lot of them. Um, so to answer your question, I think it's going to take some time. I think it's going to take some time to bring it back to where it was. You need to rebuild the culture of the team. You need to rebuild in the offseason multiple. You need to get back to recruiting locally. You need to hit on this. In a couple of weeks, I think a week or so, this is the first signing day. That's brutal. They don't have a coach. So, yeah, it's crazy, man. It really is crazy. Um, 
And it's tough. It's tough on those current players. They don't know what to do. I feel for them. I feel for them. And I've been in their seat, exact seats they've sat in. I, I live probably right where they live. And I know the struggle. And, and uh, you know, they're probably thanking their lucky stars that there's not a bowl game because they need to move on and turn the page and then come back fresh and ready to go, which I'm sure they are really gung-ho to do. And that coach will do a great job. So I'm excited uh, for what's next with Temple Football. I'm excited for our new athletic director, new school president, and uh, what's to come with the next head coach. Put this in the tickler file. I think we should do recruiting stories. Like, you know, bring on some guys. You can tell your recruiting stories. I think that stuff's fascinating. You know, the, the the living rooms, the, the, you know, sitting and talking about like what they promised you at the time and how it turned out. So, you know, put, put that on the back burner. I think that's something we should do with some guys. I, I love it. I love it. I'm trying to think of some of my good recruiting stories that I can tell in here. I have some that I cannot tell in here. I have some <laughs> that I can tell in here. A lot of good times and uh, uh, all fair, all legal, all fun. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, good stuff. I, I was very lucky to have, you know, Coach Muschamp and Dan Quinn, who was a defensive coordinator of Florida at the time, and uh, Coach Derek Lewis, the tight end coach of Florida, come visit our house. And those family memories that we had, and my grandmother cooked homemade meatballs all day and sausage all day and pasta and like our whole family meal. And they got in late. We didn't eat dinner until 9 o'clock at night. And it was a big deal for my whole family. My, you know, my cousin Devin and uncle were there. And my grandmother's there. My friend from high school, Fitzy, was there. Shout out to Fitzy. So it was a big thing. It was a big deal. It was like 10 of us at dinner and it's like a Tuesday night and didn't get to bed at like one in the morning and had to get me to go to school the next day. But it was a life changing thing for me and my family. And if I kept my recruitment open, we probably would have had more there. But yeah, I committed early and wanted to get it kind of out of the way and knew where I wanted to go. So yeah, good times, man. It's a great, we'll put on the, we'll put on the tickler file for sure. I like it. Yeah. And plus, you, I think you were talking to, to Kevin Clark about that. You said something about Nick Saban was involved, too. They were circling a little bit. But, yeah. yeah. So, we could we could do a whole pod of just recruiting stories. We'll tease the Saban story. We'll tease it. Yes. Stay okay. tuned and not for long media. Yes, exactly. Cliffhanger at the end of the episode. Speaking of the end of the episode, I did want to try to do my best because uh, I feel like I would be doing a disservice if I didn't at least attempt to describe the MLB lockout. So, it's very complex. It's a lot of labor, legal terms. But – uh, yeah, you I'm, asked me I'm if here. we want to talk about this today, and I don't know anything about it. I saw they locked out. I saw yeah. a future guest of ours signed overseas, not in the MLB, and we're going to have that person on. I'm not going to say names until they come on. Uh, so there's a lot of different things going on. I was just wondering, hey, we got to talk to Justin. Justin's our MLB guy. He's our MLB guy. So tell us, Justin, what is going on with this lockout? Matt Serger's getting tons of money, too. I don't know what is going on. Uh, Godspeed. Okay. Uh, yes. So baseball's entered its first lockout since 1994, 1995. And, uh, for any of you, you people alive back then, I, I was not, uh, it, back then in that lockout, it was during the middle of the season and they had to cancel the playoffs. There was no world series. It lasted like six months. It got really ugly. So, uh, this time around, and you're right, you brought up Max Scherzer because a lot of guys knew this lockout was coming. The collective bargaining agreement expired on December 1st. It's every five years, they have to get a new one done. So guys knew that there was going to be a lockout. That's why so many free agents signed beforehand. You had Max Scherzer going to the Mets for way too much money for how old he is. You had Corey Seager, 10 years, 325 to Texas, even though they're really bad. There, there's so many guys that wanted to get it out of the way and not have to wait because they're anticipating this lockout's going to be lasting upwards of months. Is it going to impact the start of the season? Not 100% sure. They're hoping no. Uh, but this is all a, a tactic to try to get the two sides to come together and agree on a new CBA. Um, so 
the, I'm just going to hit on the high level stuff because we could talk about for three hours about all of the minutia about everything that the union and the players association and the owners, all the, the, they're bickering about, but I want to hit on a couple of things. Uh, first, what the funniest part of all of this is uh, because of the legal stuff that's going on, no player likenesses can be used on MLB properties like MLB.com. So if you go to MLB.com, it's hilarious. There is no pictures of players. They're, they're, all they have is news stories that like talk about collective bargaining and like history of the game because you can't put a picture of Max Scherzer on there because for some reason that's – and also if you turn on MLB Network right now, they have to use old video, which is very funny. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're showing like – they're, the Hall of Fame, uh, and like ballots, the old, the golden era going on right now. So they're showing video like Roger Maris because they can't get any video like of current players. Very funny. Uh, didn't know that was a thing that was involved in collective bargaining. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to hit on the big issue. The big issue right now is service time. Right now, a player has the, the current system. Uh, a team has a player's rights for six years. The first three, you're probably making the league minimum. The last three, you're making arbitration which is where they bicker about how much you're worth. And you could probably make a lot more, obviously. Like I think at arbitration, like Juan Soto made like $20 million for the Nationals. So that's when guys start to see a little of the money. It's only when you get to free agency that you get to see the $100 million contracts. It, which baseball is the only sport. I think there's a great tweet that was put out, about, put out about this. I'm paraphrasing it terribly, but it's like baseball is the only sport where you go from riding a bus and eating ramen for 10 years. And then somebody hands you a million, $100 million contract out of nowhere. Uh, so it's not like that in football. Baseball is one of the, yeah, you're, you're riding the bus, you're, you're sleeping on air mattresses, and then out of nowhere, you get $100 million. So, uh, yeah, so service, I'll, I'll finish, wrap up my service time rant about this. So the union wants to make sure that guys get paid sooner. They, they want to change the entire system, which has never been done. So uh, the, the, the union wants to counter with free agencies after six years or after five years of service time, and you're 29 and a half years old, whatever comes first. So they want to make sure guys get paid earlier. The teams and the owners, they're like, wait, no, we like not paying guys a lot of money. It helps the small market clubs like the Orioles and Pirates keep guys for, that are making 500K. Um, so, you know, as somebody from the outside hearing all this, uh, and, you know, hearing all the systems and the, the guys getting paid way later than they probably should, like, what, what are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting because there's a lot of this talk in football, right? Service time for the NFL, right? To get the free agency, you need minimum three credited seasons to get to that free agency period Four if you're a drafted pet player three if you're undrafted so three credited seasons that also goes to your pension credited season is this for every game you are active dressed or not if you're on the active 53-man roster if you're on three of those games per year that counts as one credited season so this is my second credited season in the nfl next year hopefully it'll be my third and then the year after that, you're up for free agency because I was an undrafted player. The fifth year off that is really free agency because there's different legal things. They still own your rights for that fourth year. Uh, but I digress. There's a little bit quicker way to get to your money. So that's my first thought is it's quicker to get to your money. But these MLB guys, I believe, have guaranteed contracts. I believe they get all that money. Yep. We do not get all that money. God forbid I get cut tomorrow. I don't make a dollar the rest of the way. So my contract can say, here's my contract, whatever, minimum for a second year because NFL player, because even though this is my fifth season as a professional football player, this is only my second credited season in the NFL. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of different business side of the game. 
that's been an interesting side of the game. It's been a fun side of the game to um, kind of unpeel. I feel bad for those guys that they don't get their contracts really to their 30s. That's what it sounds like. I know that's not always completely true because they're paying these younger guys now bigger deals and trying to save money on them and different things like that. But I digress. Yeah. My first reaction, my only reaction is, yes, this sounds like a great debate for the union, for the owners, and I'm glad I'm not a part of it because that is brutal. Um, Really is. God, Jay. Yeah, like there's there's really no like middle ground here because like the owners love this system. I mean, why why would they not? Because you get to keep a guy like Juan Soto. He makes like five hundred thousand dollars a year. Meanwhile, he's out there competing for MVP trophies every year. Um, but if you remember back in 2015, I don't uh, the Chicago Cubs and Chris Bryant. They they famously kept Chris Bryant in the minors for the first month of the season, uh, even though he was perfectly qualified to come up to the big leagues. They did that to delay his service time, and they got to keep him for an extra year. And, you know, obviously the player hates that because he wants to get the free agency and get his money and the team just trying to do everything they can to save money. So I don't really know how they're going to work that part out for small markets. I get it. Like, that's the only way you're able to keep stars like the Pittsburgh Pirates. Probably that's the only way they can keep guys is under team control and not have to go out and sign them to $100 million contracts, which they never do. Um, one last thing is that they want to try to get rid of tanking. And this is kind of relevant because a lot of the area teams in the, DM, in the DMV area, I'm looking at you, Orioles. They are, they're going through a tanking phase where they're losing 120 games a year to get high draft picks. So they, they want to, there's talks of a draft lottery that there's talks of like the first, like the worst three teams in the league. Uh, they want to have like a pinball, well, not the pinball, the, uh, the ping pong balls and the thing. And they want to have the draft like the NBA does. Uh, I think one side wants three teams. One side wants eight. I think uh, I'm all for it. Tanking is disgusting. Hey, Trust the process. No, I, 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 uh, I'm on the same page with the tanking situation. I, it's, I, I don't know, but here's the thing. Sports are such a big business now. It's so pulverizing now. There's, if, if you're, if you're a team like Tampa, which has had a ton of success with very little money to spend, you need, you needed those high draft picks, but they draft so well, they don't really need them. Yeah. Some places are dying because look at Bryce Harper. He was a top pick. He went to the Nationals. He changed the face of that franchise forever. So I'm speaking at both sides, both sides of my mouth. Yes, I'm not saying tanking is good. Tanking is horrible and it's bad for sports. But the Sixers model, they landed you Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I'm not saying it's the right thing and they worked out. They did not work out well. It did not work out well, obviously. But it got you two blue chip type players and Joel and all-timer. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a great debate. I, I absolutely hate the tanking, but I don't know how those teams are going to win. They're going to have to draft and develop and do it the long way. But are you going to not fill up seats? Are you not going to pay bills? Are you not going to make it as a franchise? If you don't, can you keep up with, there's no salary cap. So mm-hmm. it's so unfair. Baseball to me, that's craziness. There's there's no salary cap. There's, no, there's not even a soft cap. You can pay guys whatever you want. So either someone's got to step up with big money and say, hey, we're going to, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm going to, buy the pirates and pay everybody or, you know, using the pirates as an example. So, yeah, I don't know what to talk about baseball. I don't, I love watching the game, but I don't know the business side as much. So yeah, my first reactions are it's interesting and it sounds like a great debate. And I hope baseball comes back normally because we need normalcy. Um, and especially during the summertime to be outside and watch baseball games in a somewhat safe environment, uh, especially with the covert environment we're in today would be tremendous. So hopefully they don't push that back anymore and they get that puppy started right on time. As long as we don't have Max Scherzer making more than the entire team payroll of the Baltimore Orioles, I think Max makes 43, and I think the Orioles pay their entire team 37. 
So if we can get rid of that, and it's also like, like you said with Tampa, Tampa always picks at the end of the draft because they win so much, but like they still have great players. And that kind and I know it's easier said than done, but just like be smarter. We, but they're know, doing it. They're doing yeah. it. You can go hire someone out of there and, and do it. People do it all the time. People try to pluck everyone from the Patriots during their heyday. And they will try to pluck people from Dallas in their heyday. And this is in any sport, right? When, mm-hmm. when different hockey teams had a ton of success in Pittsburgh and, you know, all these different teams that you've, that I've seen over the years and the last 10 years have success. People are trying to get plucked out of there to figure out what the hell they're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Tampa to me is the model. Yeah. The or final. St. Louis, St. Louis is bottom out is like 80 wins. So just do what they do. I know it's easier said than done, but you know, you don't have to lose 120 games and have a fan base be disconnected to turn a franchise around. No, it would be tremendous, tremendous for that city too. It, talking about Baltimore and, and just getting people back in there and back in those seats. That's a great ballpark. Tremendous mm-hmm. ballpark, Camden Yards. But you're you're not you're not turning the TV on to watch the Orioles lose ten nothing in the first inning. That you just you, the fan base is so disconnected. Uh, and I have my own rants about this, but yeah, it's just it's a terrible way of trying to win. So uh, that's all I have. Uh, if you want to check out more about the MLB lockout, uh, it, you need to do a lot of reading because there's a lot of legal jargon. So have fun. I thought you were going to plug your podcast. I'm like, oh, he's going to plug no. <laughs> the yeah. Justin Ayers podcast. Yeah, no. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, good stuff. Jeff All right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Tonight was a lot of fun. We got to really talk about a few different things, go through different topics. And again, it's been high demand to get Jay back on the pod, baby. So Jay, appreciate you coming on. Happy birthday recording December 6th. So we appreciate you here. Not for long. Um, and uh, looking forward to doing it soon. We'll have plenty to talk about here moving forward into the, into the end of this season. And crazy enough, it's we're cruising through December. We're almost into the new year. So episode 47, Tompy Time with Justin Ayers. Appreciate you stopping by, Justin. Go Michigan. Go Big Blue. Go Michigan. Wow, go Big Blue. We'll be talking about that soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Check out our website. Great gift for the holiday, notflowmedia.com. Thanks, guys.